Whenever there's a massive story, whenever there's breaking news throughout the week, I am tempted to rethink what scripture we're going to be studying from the pulpit that coming Sunday. If something happens that everyone is mindful of on the news, I think, well, maybe I should switch it up. And this temptation is very real, especially at a time like this. I thought, you know, maybe we should scrap what we were going to preach and instead maybe preach the creation narrative where God brings order out of chaos. Or maybe I should preach about Jesus healing somebody and we could pray that Jesus would heal the whole world. But I ultimately decided to stick with the text that we had assigned for this day. And I'll tell you why I did that. I want us to remember that as compelling as the narrative in our culture is right now, as vivid as those news alerts are on our television screens, we actually have a bigger narrative. As Katie and Anna sang before, the Lord reigns above it all. There is a narrative, there is a story that we belong to, that we are part of, that is bigger even than this story. And so for the next 20 minutes or so, I want us to shift our attention away from the topic of the day, and I want us to shift our attention onto this simple story of a man named Joseph and his betrothed one, Mary, and their son named Jesus. Not because I want us to become aloof and not think about the things going on in our time, but because it'll remind us of this larger story that we're a part of, but also because this larger story, this better narrative, this biblical story, can speak to the narrative that we are in right now. In fact, in today's story, we hear this name that is given to Jesus, the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What better time to realize that the God who made the heavens and the earth is with us always. So let's look at what happened with Joseph in particular. I want us to focus on him just a little bit this morning so that he can help us focus on Jesus. Let's look at the verse 18 together where we see that the Jesus story actually begins in apparent scandal. It begins in scandal. Read it with me, verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, we've heard that phrase so many times in our lives as Christians, but I want to kind of imagine, I want us to kind of picture how this might have sounded to Joseph and to his buddies. I'm picturing Joseph showing up at his workplace, saying to his buddies what had happened, and them kind of playing back the message to him, saying, okay, so Joseph, let me get this right. You haven't been with her, yet she's pregnant. And this might have sounded like an apparent scandal going on in the life of Joseph. And I imagine he got some ribbings. I imagine he got teased. In fact, it may have even been worse than that. He may have been shamed. He may have been mocked. What did Joseph do in response to what was certainly a very difficult thing for him to communicate to his friends and to his family? Joseph had a choice here. He could have shifted all the shame back onto Mary, or he could have chosen to absorb that shame onto himself. This is what he chose to do. Let's pick up the story in verse 19. 
It says this, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And in this moment, Joseph is beginning to show us a picture ultimately of what Jesus would do for us. Joseph chose to absorb the shame of Mary. He took the shame off of Mary and placed it onto himself. Certainly those mockings would have continued with his friends as Mary's baby bump continued to grow and grow. And we're going to look at Mary's story a little bit more in next week's sermon. But for Joseph, I want us to imagine right now how this was for him. He could have easily just thrown her under the bus and had all the shame go on to her, but he decided to do things differently. Verse 20, the story continues. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes in and and invites Joseph to an even deeper level of commitment. At first, he thought he would just divorce her quietly so that, so that um, she might be protected from this shame. But then the Holy Spirit says, no, I actually want you, Joseph, to double down on this idea. I want you to actually marry her, to stick with her. And now I imagine Joseph, as he's going about his life, now there's a, an actual baby in the picture. There's young Jesus And I'm picturing Jesus out there on the playground, so to speak, out there playing with his friends. And I wonder if any of Jesus' friends or the neighbors that they had in their community began to tease him. We know from history that the people of this time were very interested in who someone's father was. And I wonder if Jesus got teased on the playground. Hey, Jesus, who's your real dad? You don't look exactly like Joseph. I heard you were born in scandal. And I just wonder how much Jesus got teased as a child. Any one of you watching this who've ever heard reports of your child getting bullied at school, you know how heart-wrenching that is. Or any of you children who may be watching, if you've been teased or mocked at school or on a playground, you know how hard that is. Did you ever think about the fact that Jesus, as a boy, was probably teased? He was probably mocked. In fact, we know he was. By the time he became an adult, there were people who were using his questionable birth narrative against him. In John chapter 8, verse 19, Jesus had just confronted the Pharisees and the scribes, and they didn't really know how to respond to what he was saying, so they they lobbed this phrase at him in John 8, verse 19. They said, Jesus, where's your father? And they thought they had really gotten him there. You see, Jesus, like Joseph, began absorbing the shame around him. In fact, Jesus very mission was to come and absorb all of our shame. His reputation was soiled so that he could trade his reputation for ours and ours for his. When Jesus went to the cross, the day that he went to the cross, the the mocking, the jeering, the taunting was at its height. We suspect he was teased on the playground as a kid. We know The Pharisees said, where's your father? But we certainly know that on the day that he was crucified, the soldiers mocked him relentlessly. 
Mark's gospel says this, Mark chapter 15, verse 16 through 20. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. The beginning of the Jesus story was in apparent scandal, at least according to the people who would have been observing the Joseph and Mary narrative. And the way that his life ended before the resurrection, of course, was in total scandal and mockery. Why would the Son of God subject himself to such mockery, to such scorn? It's because he was absorbing our shame. Just like Joseph chose to absorb the shame of Mary, so Jesus has done that for us, to protect us and to give us his blessing, his reputation, the righteousness of God. This should come as no surprise to any of us, but Jesus is still mocked today. In fact, Christianity is still mocked today. The Bible is still mocked today. People who don't believe in Jesus, they, they talk about the Bible in some cases like it's a joke to them. They say, don't you know that there's contradictions in the Bible? In fact, they might even point to a reading like we are looking at right now, and they might say, don't you see the contradiction right in here? In verse 21, the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. But then in verse 22, the very next verse, it says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. And a person who doesn't respect the authority of the Bible, they might look at this and they, they might say, don't you see the contradiction? And they might mock it. They might say, well, was his name Jesus or was his name Emmanuel? Your Bible has contradictions in it. But those of us who know what Scripture says, those of us who believe in the authority of Scripture, those of us who believe in Jesus, we know that the answer to that question, is it Jesus or is it Emmanuel? We know that the answer is yes, yes. Because when you get to know Jesus, you get to know the reality that he doesn't fit into our human categories. We think things have to be binary. He's either this or he's either that. But the mystery and wonder of Jesus is that he can be two things at once. He is Jesus and he is Emmanuel. And I want us for the next couple of minutes to look at the meaning of those two names because we can learn a lot about Jesus in just discovering the meaning of these names. The first one, Jesus, it says in verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus simply means salvation. In fact, our word Jesus in English, it's actually a transliteration of Jesus' real name. His real name was Yeshua. There's a slide I want you to see. It should appear on your screens, but... 
If you saw Jesus, if you had a time machine somehow and you could go back and find him on those playgrounds or sidewalks that he was on, if you called out the name Jesus, he might not turn his head. But if you said Yeshua, that's probably what he would respond to. And the people in Jesus' time, they would have known well that word Yeshua. Because in the Hebrew language, the word Yeshua simply means salvation. It means salvation. It might even mean God saves, Yahweh saves. And so people would have heard this name and it would have sounded familiar to them because of the Old Testament name Joshua, which is the very same name. And Joshua in the history of Israel was celebrated as a superhero, kind of. He was celebrated as a a political leader who was successful in overthrowing the military enemies of the Israelites. Joshua, salvation, save us, rescue us. So Jesus' name, it almost would have sounded to their ears like the way we think of the word Superman. We know that Superman's job is to come in and rescue. So when you called out Yeshua to young Jesus running around or adult Jesus, you would have effectively been saying, Superman, hey, Superman, come and save us. Yeshua was his name. Because he would save people from their sins. And that was the twist. People were expecting another Joshua, another military leader, but Yeshua came along and said, I've come to save you from something even greater than any political foe, any military foe that might come along your way. Jesus is our Superman. He's our hero. He's our Yeshua, our salvation. And he saves us from the the greatest thing that we will ever face. So his name was Jesus. That's one part of who he was. He's our superhero. He's our rescuer from the consequences of sin. But also, in verse 22, he has another name, and his name is Emmanuel. Verse 22 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Again, it's another phrase that if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've heard it a million times, but maybe you've lost the absolute profundity of that phrase. God with us. God, the one who created the entire universe, the mind-boggling size of the universe in all of its mass, in all of its beauty, in all of its splendor, that very same creator who could do all of that chooses to be with us. Emmanuel. It's a word that means something amazing, that when Jesus came to earth, God was choosing to enter into the very thing that he had created in the form of a helpless little baby, apparently weak, apparently born in scandal, that the God who created the universe would choose to be with us is one of the most profound, wonderful mysteries in the whole history of the universe. A couple of months ago, there was a a tweet that was on Twitter. I'm going to show it to you in just a moment, but not yet. And this tweet was written by an atheist. And this atheist was trying to mock Christianity, 
But I think he was actually stumbling upon this profound mystery of the incarnation, the profound mystery of God with us. He didn't even know it. Here's what he wrote in the tweet. He said this, Christianity is the belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. Now, this tweet was designed as a, as a mockery. Can you believe these Christians who believe in this grand universe created by somebody who chooses to have a personal relationship with you? But I read this tweet and I thought, this guy, man or woman, I'm not sure who wrote it, is stumbling upon the truth of the gospel, the truth of the incarnation, the wonder and beauty and majesty of God's great love for us, that yes, the one who created the whole universe would choose to be with us. And I hope that whoever wrote this tweet will have a personal encounter with this very God that he or she seems to be mocking. I'm praying for this person who wrote this tweet. And I think that's a a good posture for all of us to have, especially at a time like this, as we see people wondering and questioning and and being confused amidst all the chaos. Is there a God in all of this? Where is God right now, maybe, is on the minds of some of us. And our response as the people who believe in the incarnation, the people who believe in Jesus, our rescuer, Yeshua, our salvation, Emmanuel, God with us, we more than anybody can be responding as an answer to their question. If they are wondering, where is God in all of this? We can step in and say, he's right here with us. And he's asked me and my church to help. Do you need help? In church, as we are the church while we're not in church, we will answer people's questions. We will encounter people who are atheists and agnostics or maybe people who have been Christ followers for a long time who suddenly are questioning. We can help answer. We can be the incarnation. Jesus is the ultimate incarnation, but those of us who have Christ in us, we pray that he would indwell us. Now we become the hands, the feet, the listening ear, the word of truth, the grocery delivery, the crying shoulder of Jesus himself. Most of you know Patricia Hallenbeck. She works at the front desk, welcoming people in during the week. She is such a wonderful gift in addition to our staff team. And something happened with her this week that I want to share with you as an inspiration to all of us. Like all of us, she's been watching the news and everything that's been going on, and she's just been so prayerful about it. And earlier this week, she was just up the street in Banksville getting some food from a little restaurant called Happiness Is, where she loves to go. She was the only person in the whole store other than the staff and one other man who was there. And Patricia was talking with the staff at the counter about everything that's going on. And she just decided to involve the other guy in the conversation, as Patricia usually does. And she turned to this man she'd never met before, and she said, what do you think about all this? And she said the look on his face was one of real fear. And he said, well, I work in the markets. 
And I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose right now. I can barely keep up with it all. And when Patricia saw the look of fear on his face and heard about how his week was going, she felt a little prompting to pray for him. But then her mind kind of took over and said, I can't just offer to pray for somebody. What if he's not a Christian? What if he's offended? So she got in her car and left the store, but that prompting started getting louder and louder. She started hearing this voice kind of come over her consciousness saying, go back and pray for that man. So after she had left the parking lot, she just had to listen to that prompting. She drove back into the parking lot, parked her car, came back in. He's still the only man in the store other than the staff. She walked right up to him. She said he pulled the earbuds out of his ears. He was on his laptop and kind of looked at her like, yes. (laughs) And she said, I just felt this prompting to come back and pray for you. Can I pray for you? And he said to her, well, yes, you may. You should know that I'm an agnostic. But sure, you you can pray for me. So she began praying for him. And as she tells the story, she doesn't even remember what she prayed. The Holy Spirit just took over. But she does remember saying the name of Jesus, which she was debating in her mind. Maybe I shouldn't say Jesus' name. But she heard the Holy Spirit say, if you're ashamed of me, then you're not one of my followers. So she said the name of Jesus in the prayer, and she said, amen. They looked at each other, and he thanked her. And he said, I'm going to send a positive thought about you. And she said, thank you, I'll take that. And she drove away. Church, I tell you that story because all of us are going to feel those promptings in the next days and weeks, and we're going to be encountering people, whether they're atheist or agnostic or fellow Christ followers. We're going to be encountering people who who need prayer, who need help. Maybe you're one of the people watching this right now, and you're saying, I'm one who needs help. There's a lot of people out there Right now is our opportunity to rise up, to be the church when we're not in church, to pray for people, to help people, to to mobilize. This is our calling right now. I invite you prayerfully to join this with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. Amen. Amen.